And so after after I saw myself in the mirror, like I I said I didn't want to live anymore and all that stuff. And honestly, it was like in the click of a finger. What changed it was um, about 20 minutes later, my head coach, he Bovest, he walked in and and he said, Colton, he said, I don't I don't care what these doctors are telling you, man. He's like. He goes, I recruited you because you're tough and I want you to be a national champ. And he goes, you're still alive. He goes, we still got a job to finish and I don't care how long it takes to get back on that wrestling mat. We're going to make one last round to be a national champ. We're going to get the job done. This is Colton Kirsten. I'm a two-time collegiate All-American wrestler. I am also a survivor of bacterial meningitis where now I am a current coach at Midland University and an inspiring motivational speaker. This is the Heads and Tails Podcast, and I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week we're interviewing Colton Kirsten. He's a survivor of bacterial meningitis. He was a two-time All-American wrestler, and he's a current graduate assistant wrestling coach at Midland University in Fremont, Nebraska. And he also uh, completed his 100th win after his bout with uh, bacterial meningitis and finished third in the nation uh, as a wrestler. What, what was your weight class, Colton? Uh, my weight class is 197. Well, 97. So he was one of the, the beasts out there on the mat. Um, one of the big guys, yeah. Yeah, and this was this was after you know suffering a pretty traumatic you know disease here. So can you kind of tell us what led up to you know the bacterial meningitis diagnosis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with wrestling, you uh, you're cutting a lot of weight uh, for most guys, and with me, I was cutting a lot of weight to get down to 197 pounds. And there was a point in time where I was doing some student teaching uh, down in Omaha, Nebraska, and I was working with a bunch of little kids, and I was cutting a bunch of weight to where I probably wasn't eating the best, and I had my weight down, uh, let's see, to where I wasn't eating. I, I don't think I ate for maybe a day and a half, and just being around kids during the flu season and all that stuff, they're coughing and everything, I, I ended up catching uh, mono, and this was the second time that I had caught mono in my life, which is very rare. And I, I didn't realize it at the time. I was going to practice, and I was giving it everything that I had. Um, I'd find myself drinking a bunch of coffee before I'd head into practice just to give me energy to get through it. And this went on for probably about a month. And at the time, I was ranked number two in the nation. And... It just seemed like uh, it seemed like at times it was getting worse, and then I went home with a bunch of my buddies, and uh, we we went to a local wrestling tournament, watched some of the kids from my hometown, and I think it was uh, maybe that next day or two days later at wrestling practice, I I told my brother, who was my coach and my wrestling partner, I told him I said I'm like you know I don't. I don't think I can get through this practice. And our mindset was, uh, you know, you better be wrestling in practice unless you have a bone broken or you're dying. You know, well, I was legitimately dying. And I, I just didn't, I just, 
I just didn't know it. And I told him, I'm like, I don't think I can do it. And he's like, well, he's like, uh, you better go talk to coach. So I kind of hung my head and I told the coach, I was like, you know, I don't think I can do it. And, and uh, I still got some more weight to lose. So I um, left practice and ran on a treadmill for a little bit. Well, when I was on the treadmill, I was damn near about hallucinating. And, um, and then I decided to go to the, I was going to go to the YMCA and try to get some more weight off after practice. And I was driving in my truck and um, probably not the best state to be driving. And all of a sudden I decided, I'm like, you know what, I need to go to the hospital or an urgent care or something. So I went to an urgent care and um, I ended up, I was just sitting, sitting on the hospital bed and I was, I was just freezing, just frigid cold. And so they ended up sending me across the street to um, the local hospital there in Fremont. And they diagnosed me with mono, which, yes, that's what I had. And uh, so this was, I think this is a week before the regional tournament, so the national qualifier. And so, I mean, I was, my coach is coming. Everybody is a little worried that that I wasn't going to be able to, you know, wrestle at regionals. And then I wasn't going to go to nationals because of this mono that I had. So the doctors, they ended up sending me home with Tylenol. And then that night, um, I ended up throwing up all night. And it just literally the, the worst you could ever feel in your entire life. And um, things just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, one of my, one of my roommates, one of my best friends, he, he woke up. He was going to go to class, and he had a huge uh, science exam that morning. And he ended up skipping. He's like, dude, I got to take you to the hospital. So took me into the hospital, and I couldn't walk at this point in time. I, I had purple rashes all over my body, and we didn't know what was going on. And when did the rashes start? Uh, the rashes started first thing in the morning. From that's what I noticed, and uh, it was all over my arms and legs. And we didn't know what exactly was going on, but everybody was pretty freaked out. And like I said, I couldn't really move. I couldn't walk. And my buddy, he helped me get back to the hospital that next morning. And honestly, I remember. Yes, yes, and. I remember being at the hospital for uh, probably no more than a half hour, and uh, I ended up, uh, he told, my buddy told me, he said, you know, I got to go back to class, man. He's like, I love you. I'll be praying for you, and um, I gave your mom a call. She'll be on her way, so I remember my mom, she was she was at the hospital for maybe 10 minutes from what I remember, and after that, I everything went black. I just blacked out, and um, I had a 10% chance to live, and I was put in a coma, and I think that day my family and my wrestling team was told to prepare for my death. So, that's, I mean, that's insane, and I'm sure your mom, you know, she thought you were probably fine or whatever. <clears throat> so, like, did, did you have meningitis when they thought that you had mono, or did you have both at the same time, or did you get meningitis after the mono? Like, what was the sequence, um, or do they not really know? Okay, so... <laughs> So how you get meningitis is it's very common in young children and older adults and then also in college students. And it's because a lot of times their immune systems are low, like with babies or older people. But then with college kids, they're living in the dorms. They might not be living the most healthy lifestyle. Well, I was doing that. And then on top of that, I was cutting a lot of weight, probably not the way I should have been. 
and right. my immune my immune system was down, so that's how I ended up contracting the mono, and um, and then the mono that that drug my immune system down even further, and then just basically how you get meningitis is if you have a very low immune system and someone that carries that disease either coughs or sneezes in a general area that you're in and you breathe those particles in that once it gets in your system it'll kill you in 24 hours and you won't even know it wow so i mean that's that's insane so that just kind of talks about you know like the recovery the importance of recovery in sports and that's a topic that comes up a lot on my podcast so obviously you were feeling pretty run down i know like in the wrestling community cutting weight is a pretty normal thing and you know you said that you don't know if you're doing it the right way so like how were you cutting weight and how should you have been cutting weight in a, a safer way just well, to kind of prevent you know wrestlers from having a similar you know right instance and, in the future. and i I mean, I've always been very great at cutting weight. I always have a really great diet. Um, I train the the right way. I'll train uh, three times a day when I was competing to get my weight down. And at this point in time, um, I think I was really stressed out because I just started out student teaching. Um, I was working with a bunch of kids down in Omaha, and um, and I I don't know. I don't know why um, I must have had, I think what happened was is we had back-to-back um, competitions, which with wrestling, you, you go to a competition and a lot of guys will eat and drink a bunch of stuff and they'll gain maybe eight pounds and then they might have uh, four days to get that off and for the next competition and get back down to weight. And I think that's kind of what was going on. Um, and I think I was really just, rushing my body to to lose that weight and that's why I wasn't eating what I was supposed to and I was probably working out three times a day trying to get my weight down and yeah you throw all that stuff together and you're not Superman you know you can't you can't do that and expect to to be healthy you know so. right and that's a tough pill to swallow too when you're an athlete especially an athlete of your caliber when you do think that you're superman you know like you yeah. achieve all these great physical feats and then you all of a sudden it's like whoa man like your body's rebelling against you so um, yeah. so what was like the one thing that was like you know during this time that was like you look back on it and be like you know what i really should have you know stayed in the hospital or i i should have looked at that symptom as you know something more serious and not brushed it off um well honestly uh like i like i said the way me and my brother our mindset is uh we come from a junior college that was iowa central um very tough they win nationals about every other year it seems like and we had a head coach his name was uh, luke moffett and he he talked to the team all the time and he said if if you guys you guys have to show up and give 100% every single day. And if you don't, you better have an excuse of you have a broken arm or you're dying or something like that. And I know maybe he wasn't being all that serious, but at the same time, I mean, he was. And that was our mindset. That's what we had drilled in our minds. And um, so I would, all the rest of my career, even when I was at Midland University, it was like I just had that drilled in my mindset that, Right, I'm sure he's uh, no not matter. the first coach to ever say that to you, you know, like, 
that, yeah, that's just yeah. like the sports culture in general. And I had similar instances, you know, with, with my coaches, um, you know, and playing hurt. And I think that ultimately led to my head injury. So yeah, it, it's yeah. not like you're blaming your coach, but that's just like the culture. No, no, I'm, so, no, yeah. I'm not blaming him by any means. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, he, I'm trying he, to defend you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah. So that's that's just kind of the mindset that I had, and um, I had never missed a practice my whole life for literally like anything, and then uh, this comes up, and I'm like, man, I got to keep losing this weight. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do that if I don't practice, you know. And I kept trying to tough it out and this and that. Well. Um, that wasn't really, that really wasn't, um, the biggest problem of it, to be honest. It was because when you get meningitis, you have, you have 24 hours, you have a very short notice. So it's not like I really knew what was going on. I mean, right. And at the time, yeah, yeah, this disease is something that happens to maybe once in every, I don't know, maybe million, maybe every 2 million people. So, um, Honestly, kind of what the problem was was when I was at the hospital in Fremont, they they didn't diagnose me right. They didn't know what to do. Um, and, I mean, they sent me home with Tylenol. You can clearly see that there was something wrong with me. And, yeah, and, and that's what they gave almost, you, Tylenol. <laughs> yeah, and it was almost like uh, they didn't do anything about it, you know. Right. And I remember even the next day, the next day was awful. I was literally... I was literally dying, and um, I remember there was no, there was, it seemed like there was nobody in the hospital to help me, and uh, I remember, I guess it was, it was right after I, uh, right after I blacked out, I, I want to remember, but um, they, they kind of just threw their hands up in the air, and I'm Catholic, so they, they brought a priest in, and they told my family and my coach to prepare for my death. And basically said there was nothing they could do for me. And so, what was the treatment? And, Did they do anything, or was it just like a miracle? Um, they ended up they ended up calling uh, UNMC Hospital in Omaha, Nebraska, and they brought over a helicopter, and I ended up getting life lighted. Well, when I was on the helicopter. Um, I guess that they had called one of the doctors at UNMC and he wanted to know what exactly what was wrong with me. So they, they told him on the helicopter and um, they said, listen, he's got bacterial meningitis. You need to inject him with this right now because if you don't, he's going to die. And so they just, they just happened to have that vaccine on the, on the flight and that's, that's what saved me. They said if wow, they would have waited... Yeah, they said if they would have waited five more minutes, I I would have been dead. So that's insane. Um, can yeah. you talk about like the pain? I know in some of the stuff I read about you, you talked about like the intense pain that you had from this, you know, illness. So wh- right. what was that? What was that like? Um, man, it was just it was so unreal that it's really hard to explain. Um. You go in, so it's like you go into a doctor's office or whatever, and you got something wrong with you, and they're going to ask you, what's your pain level? Is it 1 to 10? And most people will be like, oh, it's 7, it's 8, blah, 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 you know. And right. Well, my pain, my pain level was from 1 to dead, and, I mean, 10 is like I'm on, like I'm going to die. Like this is ridiculous. Like I'm about to pass out. Right. And it, it seemed like my pain level at, 
a lot of the time was somewhere between a eight and a ten and and it was constant like you you couldn't escape it and it was like there was nothing you could do to just get rid of it and it was it was the worst thing that you could ever experience i wouldn't wish up upon anybody you know so i mean it's probably almost one of those things like it did it hurt so bad that you like you wish you were dead or what uh at some points in time it almost felt that way um but i mean there was just something in me that just couldn't let go you know uh and especially when you got your family there supporting you um i had my my whole community there supporting me and all my teammates my coaches uh uh one of my my head coach actually Bo Vest, I think he stayed at the hospital with me for about four days straight, and we had people sleeping in the lobbies. and And when you got that, and when you see that, and you have that kind of support, it's really hard not to fight, you know. Um, right. And especially with with what I was doing with wrestling and everything, and um, I I was young. I mean, I just so much to live for, you know. And yeah. Um. Yeah, man. So I. Just had to keep fighting, really. Yeah, I'm but, definitely glad but, you did. <laughs> um, so, before we move on from like the symptoms of that you were experiencing from it, when you said that you were like hallucinating on the treadmill and you were you just knew that you had to go get help. Um, was it because you had a hard time breathing? Was it because of the pain? Was it like what was the symptom that was like the trigger? Um, really, like, really, the the trigger of it was it felt like I just had the flu, like times 10 and it and it hit me so fast that it was just the craziest thing and um you have zero energy and on top of that i i had mono so right there and i didn't know about that at the time either so i had zero energy from that i had zero energy from from the minute the bacterial meningitis and there i was running on a treadmill trying to lose weight while i had this and little did i know that my body was trying to kill itself within 24 hours so right um yeah do you think that you got meningitis like from wrestling i only ask this because like i know wrestling mats are notoriously like dirty and disgusting and carry like ringworm and all sorts of stuff like do you think that that is where you got it from or you think it's i don't know um no yeah that no that's a good question uh but no i don't think so i think i just like I said, I think my body was just run down from uh, from cutting weight and training all the time, and then just you know being stressed out and being around. Uh, so, so being do you know all like, kinds of people? So do you know if meningitis is uh, like all over the place, like at all times, and it's just like you just get it if your immune system is really low? Um, yeah, so you can get it if your immune system is very low. Um, so like me, like I said, I had mono and so it was very low and that was kind of what triggered me to get it. Um, but, but really, um, one out of every hundred people on average actually carry bacterial meningitis in the back of their throat. So there's carriers. Yeah. So there's carriers everywhere. And I mean, if all it takes is one of them to cough, or sneeze in a general area where there's somebody that has a low immune system and that's all it takes. So, Wait, so if they're if they're a carrier, does that mean that they had it at one point in time or does that mean that uh, no. their immune system is just no. constantly fighting it? Um, no, they're just 
uh, they're just carriers of it. Doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they've that they can get it or anything like that. Because, um, like I said, it's very rare to get this like one in a million. But um, but yeah, they're just they they're just the ones that carry it. And if they you know cough, sneeze, or anything in a general area, and someone breathes it in, I mean that's it. So. It's, it's it like blows my mind. I don't know. It's like <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's kind. Of, it's very crazy. And you know what? It's like when I woke up in the hospital, um, and I I obviously I had no idea what the heck was going on. And then I'm asking like my family, doctors, whatever, what the deal is, and they're telling me I got bacterial meningitis. I've never even heard of it before. Right. But the thing was, is when I was a senior in high school, I actually got a shot for meningitis so i mean i thought i was good but the thing is is that at that point in time they didn't have a shot for the type of meningitis that i got the type of bacterial meningitis i got see there's different strands of it okay and um i the strand that i got is the most deadliest one you can get and i can't quite think of the name of it right now i'd have to look but um, yeah, just one of those deals where I just got very, very unlucky. So yeah, I actually interviewed um, a girl in one of my first episodes, and her brother actually passed away from bacterial meningitis that he got at college. So, yeah, 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 yeah. You're you're definitely you're definitely lucky, man. Um, so yeah. what complications did you experience? You know, afterwards. Um, while I was still in the hospital or out of it? Yeah, both. Both. Um, so. Basically, it was, uh, I ended up getting sepsis, and what sepsis is, is um, once you have so much bacterial bacteria in your body that um, there's poison that goes through your bloodstream, and it actually, like, eats through your skin. It's, it's like a, it, like a flesh-eating um, flesh disease. And like I said, because I had so much bacteria in my system, that's what I ended up getting, too, was sepsis, and... Um, on my, I just remember looking at my arms and I had these huge gaping holes in my arms, whereas like somebody threw acid on me or I got burned in a fire or something. And um, at the time, my, for instance, on my arms, my arms were so skinny because I had lost 65 pounds of muscle in two weeks from being in the hospital. And wow, so my, my arms were... Yeah, so my arms were so skinny that I was looking at where the sepsis had eaten through my skin, and there were certain parts where it it was close to being straight down to the bone. Um, I mean, there was a few a few scars or a few holes that I literally had like eaten through my skin, where it probably went in close to an inch deep. And so. So, like, when you looked at yourself in the mirror and you saw that you were 65 pounds, like, what did that do to your psyche, you know? Like, being a big, strong athlete, 195-pounder, like, I've seen your Instagram yeah. pictures, like, you're a fit dude, like, you got, you're jacked, man. So, like, how did that feel when, you know, you, when you looked at yourself like that? Because I had a similar situation when I was in the hospital, too. Yeah, um, like, I had, I had stayed, I guess you could say, somewhat positive through the whole experience like as positive as somebody could be through an experience like that i had done it and i had told everybody i said i don't want to see myself in the mirror because i knew what would happen as soon as i did because they kept reading uh, they can weigh you on the hospital bed 
and right. they kept reading off my weight um, every day, and it seemed like I was losing like five pounds every single day. And all of a sudden, I and I was cutting weight to get down to 197 pounds. When this whole fiasco started, I was probably 210. And and then two weeks later, they weigh me, and I weigh 152 pounds. And I remember I was just like devastated. And the only reason I saw myself in the mirror is because this is the first time that they carried me in to the bathroom to give me a bath or a shower or whatever. And when they brought me in, I just happened to take a glance at myself in the mirror and I looked like a straight Holocaust victim with, with burnt, literally like burns all over my body. And, um, I, right when I saw that, it was just like the life just got taken out of me and, uh, they, they gave me a shower and I just sat back in the bed and that was the first time I cried throughout the whole experience because it was just like, from what I saw, it was like everything that I worked towards my whole life to try to get to where I was in wrestling was just, right. it was, it was gone. Like I felt like I was, I was nobody, you know, and that was the, that was the lowest moment in my entire life. And after that, I, I told my nurse, actually, that was when I told her, I said, I don't want to live anymore. I said, this isn't worth it to me. And is it because of about, how you looked or like with the yeah, scars? And yeah. Stuff, I, with, with the scars. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to keep my arms or not. Um, they were, they still weren't sure at that point. Kind of, it was pretty iffy and it was, it was getting to the point where every day I was in the hospital, I was, I was always asking the question if I was going to get to live to see the next day or not, or if I was going to, uh, keep my arms or my legs or, um, stuff like that. And I was, I was already told that I wasn't going to ever wrestle again, you know, or possibly even function normally again the rest of my life. And who, who told you um, that? And, and when did they tell you? Um, this was what doctors were saying and they were kind of telling me this throughout the whole process. And, um, I had, I had one nurse that was, she was very tough on me and it was good cause she cared. And, um, she just told me, she's like, you know what, Colton, she goes, you're going to get through this. And I mean, she, she would tell me you, you can't, you can't feel sorry for yourself because, uh, what you've gone through so far that nobody, nobody gets through this. Like you're literally a miracle. Right. You shouldn't be alive right now. You shouldn't have your limbs right now and you're still alive. And she goes, she'd worked there, I think 25 years, told me that um, I was one of four patients that has had bacterial meningitis in the hospital. Two of them died, one of them lost all their limbs, and then leaving me left, I'd, I'm the only one that's gotten out of there with all my limbs and um, with my brain still able to function normal and uh, to where I could, you know, possibly live a normal life and and and, and live in, and tell the story that you're telling right now to, to right you know. right and that's that's great and, man. and so after after i saw myself in the mirror like i i said i don't want to live anymore and all that stuff and honestly it was like in the click of a finger what changed it was um about 20 minutes later my head coach he bovest he walked in and and he said colton he said i don't i don't care what these doctors are telling you man he's like he, he goes, I recruited you because you're tough and I want you to be a national champ. And he goes, you're still alive. He goes, we still got a job to finish. And 
I don't care how long it takes you to get back on that wrestling mat. We're going to make one last round to be a national champ. We're going to get the job done. And yeah, then he and, just... Uh, what were you saying? Yeah, and he just, he just up and left my room. And, and honestly, at the time, I was, I was thinking, this dude is... I remember looking at my mom thinking, this dude is crazy. But then at the same time, it was like he gave me a sense of hope, like, like I had something to work towards again, you know? Like I, that goal that I once had a few weeks ago was now my goal again, but add a little spice to it, and I want to try to uh, achieve the impossible, you know? So Exactly, and I had a doctor tell me before I was getting wheeled into surgery on my brain that I would never play football again. And yeah. when you say that, and I've had a bunch of other athletes say the same kind of thing, like when you have your goal of getting back to your sport, whether it's possible or not, you know, yeah. if you have that yeah. as your goal, it'll definitely help you in your recovery and make you want to fight harder to, to get back oh, to where man. you were. Right. And I think that's a, a good message. Yeah. For, for doctors too to, to not tell kids, you know, that they'll never play again, even though if you know, you know, undoubtedly that they'll never play again, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, yeah. So when did, so is that when you started thinking about wrestling from like that point on? It was, um, at the time, I mean, I was, I was still going through so much pain that you, you couldn't even bear it. Like, um, I couldn't, I couldn't stand up at this point in time because the blood would rush down to my feet and, um, the pain was so real and so intense that it would almost make me want to black out. Wow. And, um, but yeah, at, at that point in time, I'm like, wow, I got, I got this coach that whether he's saying it or if he truly believes it, I don't know. It doesn't matter. He's given me a sense of hope, and I'm going to uh, try to finish this job that I started. You know, I got, I had one more year of eligibility after that, and um, I just wanted to make the most of it. And the the first thing that popped in my head was, was wow, this will be a huge inspiration if I could, if I could come back and really pull this off. So yeah, man, um, For sure. It was so. So what was, was like? What was your rehab and physical therapy like? Like how soon? Like when were you discharged from the hospital, and how soon were you able to start like rehabbing? Right. So um, I got out of the hospital in three weeks. They were telling me it would take about three months. I got out in three weeks, and I started rehabbing. I think oh, it was probably a month after I got out of the hospital. So. Um, but right when I got out of the hospital, I was, I was laid on uh, bed rest. I was on, I, I was on bed rest basically for about three months. Um, my parents, what, they put For what a, reason did they? Uh, yeah. So I, I couldn't walk. I didn't know how to walk. Okay. Um, and, uh, my body was still so messed up that I couldn't, I couldn't really, I couldn't function normally. And my mom, she, uh. She actually put her job on hold so she could literally just stay at home full time with me and try to get me back on my feet and raise me back to normal again. Right. And um, I had to walk around with, uh, with double socks on my feet and uh, slippers around the house because uh, the carpet was too rough on my feet. Like... Um, because I had lost all the skin on my feet and on my hands. Like it, it almost shed off kind of like a snake. So I had baby skin, I guess you could say. Yeah. And it was like very, wall, yeah. very, yeah. And it was, uh, very tender and everything. 
what, like, what did the doctors say? Like, why were you able to keep your limbs? You know, you're losing all your skin and stuff. And obviously, with the this, like with bacterial meningitis, I guess you said a lot of people who survive they lose their limbs. Um, so, like, why were you able to to keep your your limbs? So, actually, a big part of it was they at the hospital they wanted to try something new with me, and it was almost like I was. Um, kind of messed up, but I mean, it, it's good because I was kind of like an experiment. Um, so they really didn't have much to lose and they wanted to try, um, an oxygen chamber. So they were going to put me in an oxygen chamber and I had to sign some papers to basically give them the okay to do it. And they were, yeah, yeah. And so they're putting me in this oxygen chamber that was like 100% oxygen and or something like that. And um, I would have to do five sessions of it for two hours. And this, they, I don't know, they were sworn that this was going to heal my skin to where I wouldn't maybe have to get skin grafts all over my body and that it would uh, be a good chance I was going to get to keep my arms and legs. So... I was like, yeah, what the heck, I might as well try it. And I remember the first time I did it, I remember laying there in this chamber. And I was just like sweating, sweating, sweating. And it was like I was in a sauna sweating out, you know, all the bad stuff out of my body. And then once I got out, I felt a lot better. And then the next day, they had me do it again for another two hours, and I felt even better. And then they just... It was just a big snowball effect, and um, I think that's what kind of helped actually keep my arms and legs, so yeah. Wow, so what's like the premise behind that? Like, do you know like what the science is behind that, or? Um, I, they, you're just getting uh, more, more oxygen in your body, which allows you to heal faster or heal better. I'm not, I'm not 100% positive, but whatever it was, uh, it definitely worked. So oh, yeah. I'll have to look more um, into that. that. Maybe I'll throw yeah, in the show notes. I, yeah. Right. And I I think a lot of professional athletes I think that they will go into oxygen chambers just to heal their bodies faster. Yeah, recover, right? Oh. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um so how long did it take before you could actually start like lifting weights again and then, you know, getting back on the wrestling mat? Um Well it let's see, I I did not touch a well I take that back. When I was in the hospital, I was actually trying to lift weights, and my nurses were trying to get me to almost uh, tone it down a bit because I was just so like so depressed about the whole deal that I was I was lifting weights, uh, maybe like uh, not weights. I guess it'd be more like those rubber band things, uh, just to try to keep muscle on because that's I was losing so much muscle that I didn't know what else to do. Like I've lifted my whole life, so. Right, that's um, all you knew, yeah. Yeah, that's all I knew, and I think they thought I was a little bit crazy trying to do workouts in the hospital and stuff, but uh, no, once I got out of the hospital and I was at home, I think it took about, oh, maybe maybe two weeks before I touched a weight, and the first time that I tried lifting anything, I, I couldn't lift a five-pound dumbbell. Wow. And that's that's just how weak I was, and... Um, it was very, very humbling. And all of a sudden I was, the next day I was able to lift a five pound dumbbell and then 
Um, the next day I would try to lift it 10 times and then maybe 30 times and then maybe 50 times, you know, and then I'd move up to another weight and I was just so determined and, um, I remember I would just sit there literally all day cause I had nothing to do and I would just grab that small little weight and just try to lift it, lift it, lift it and trying to get back. So, and then I, I think I relearned how to walk maybe in, oh, it probably took about two months to learn how to do it by myself and it was still pretty shaky and I would have, uh, my parents and then I'd even have some of my friends and family, they would always come over and they'd take me on walks and, um, and I couldn't go too far because I'd start to get nauseous and then I'd pass out. Um, so I had to be really careful with it. And then after a while, after about two months or so, I was, um, my parents are both teachers at the high school. So they'd take me into the high school and, um, I'd walk around inside and, um, try to get a little bit of an exercise. And after a little bit longer, I, I would go into the weight room and, uh, try to lift some weights and, and what was really humbling to me was a lot of the junior high and high school kids that uh, grew up watching me wrestle and this and that. Uh, they'd be in the weight room and they'd just be sitting there watching me almost in awe, like like it's just crazy. These kids are lifting twice as much as me, and um, you know they grew up probably idolizing me. So it was just so a really humbling experience. Did that? Did like working out with them? help or hurt the situation in terms of like your psyche you know like what, what did they say yeah. anything to you uh no I, I could tell that they were that they were pretty down about it just um couldn't really say much you know i i think a lot of people were feeling pretty bad for me but um but really in my mind with the whole wrestling thing and trying to get back in the saddle again was i in my mind i knew how to wrestle I just told myself, I'm like, you know, if I can get my strength and my agility back, that I, I should be good. I'm going to have to deal with some, some nerve damage, some nerve pain in my feet and hands and this and that. But but if I can get my uh, strength and agility back, that I should be able to start wrestling again. So I just kept that, that mindset and kept working harder and harder and harder every day. And um, before I knew it, it was probably six months down the road. I was, I think I was weighing about 215 pounds and I was lifting close and I was lifting close to about what I was before I got sick. And the only problem was, is my agility wasn't all that good. And um, my feet were still in serious pain from the nerve damage. And, um, but yeah, it was just a, a huge progression. And I think I was lifting about any chance that I could just trying to get back and, always taking protein and this and that. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm reading a book called the slight edge by Jeff Olson. And basically the premise of the book is that like you do, you know, little things each day that at the time don't seem like anything and they're easy to do, but they're also easy not to do. Um, yeah. But over time they kind of like compound and they accumulate to, you know, like you said, like six months later, you're back at two fifteen, lifting like you were, um, beforehand and you're just trying to get your agility back. So I think that's a good message for athletes who are overcoming any kind of injury, you know, that, you know, don't get discouraged in the beginning and it might not look sexy of what you're doing, lifting that five pound dumbbell. But if you keep right, doing right. it every day, like you're doing it, then that's something that, um, get, yeah. get you to your goals. 
Well, um, yes, and sorry, and with the with the muscle memory too is it um it all came back pretty fast, honestly. I mean, for the first few months it was very hard uh mentally trying to get back into the swing of things and um but all in all I just tried to stay positive and just kept working towards it and um before I knew it I was I was pretty close to being back to where I was, so Yeah, it's great. Um, so what role did faith play during your recovery? Uh, did what play? Sorry. Faith? Like, uh, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, you know what it, um, in the hospital and everything, it just, um, even with the recovery and all that stuff, it, it played a huge role. Um, I, I know that it, if it, if it wasn't for God, I mean, I, I really don't think that I'd be here today and I'd have, you would have my family telling you that and friends as well. And, um, I mean, it was a miracle. Uh, everything that I went through was literally a miracle. It was a medical miracle. And I do think that faith had a lot to do with it. I had, uh, I had people literally from one end of the United States, from probably New Jersey to Hawaii, um, where there's a pray ch uh, prayer chain um, and people's churches praying for me and uh, hoping that I get back on my feet. And um, I had people coming in, crowds of people coming in, and uh, they'd, they'd pray over me and everything. And uh, um, yeah, it was incredible to see. Yeah, when something bad happens, was, you, you see how many people care about you. <laughs> right. And. And just, I mean, I've always had really good faith even um, before that with with my wrestling. And I I would say that when I was closest to my faith, it was when I was um, competing and uh, just made it that much stronger when, uh, when, I, when I went through what I did, you know. Um, things, just like, things like that just don't happen without someone higher than you um, pushing you through it, so... So when you said that you use faith like as an athlete, like how how do you how did you use faith? You know, is it like in preparing for the matches or, you know, um, I, I guess yeah. I I don't really understand. So, I always told myself uh, I knew I knew some guys that, you know, before their matches or before their competitions, they would they would pray and pray and pray and pray and do this and that, and uh, they would think that just by asking God, you know, to, uh, to get them, to get them through a certain competition or get them through something in life, uh, to get them to achieve something that that was going to be it. No, that's not it. You got, I mean, with me and I found out the hard way you, I will pray before all my matches. I'll pray every single day, um, about wanting to become successful in something. But if you don't meet God halfway in your training, and just in life, it's probably not going to happen. And the way I saw it is if if I lost a match, I truly believe that I just didn't meet God halfway. And um, I would, before a match, I didn't care who it was, if it was the best guy in the nation. I'd pray to God every single time that uh, that he allows me to wrestle the best match of my ability and that no matter what happens, that I walk away knowing that I did my best and that, hopefully I end up getting my hand raised right. and, and if I didn't get my hand raised it's because I wasn't prepared, you know, right. and, um, and then you learn from that. But if you do, I mean, you know that you met him halfway and life goes on. But, um, that was, 
that was something big I would say uh, with my faith that I that I use. So, have you ever read the the new Tim Tebow book called Shaken? Um, no, I haven't. I have not. I'd recommend that for you. I think you'd really like it. But just for the podcast's sake, I in that book he kind of talks about the role of using faith in sports and how he uses it is that instead of like instead of playing for like the girls in the stands or playing for, you know, the accolades or the trophies or the Heisman or whatever it is, you know, you do it for God. And by doing yeah. it for something yeah. that's not like external and doesn't have like any I don't know, like no yeah, give and take I, I, type things. Yeah. It yeah. it makes it much easier, you know, when things might not go your way or, you know, stuff like yep. that. Yeah, um, I know what you mean, so. Yeah, anyway. Um, so when did you, can you talk about when you finally did get back on the wrestling mat and how long after, you know, the initial, um, you know, diagnosis, I guess, of your bacterial meningitis was? Um, yeah, so when I officially got back on the wrestling mat was that following year, um, I ended up, I was going to school part-time because that's, that's all I could handle at the time. I was still getting in the swing of things. And um, honestly, right when I first started wrestling, like I said, I, ha I had my strength back. My agility wasn't quite all there. Um, but I was doing actually really well. Um, I truly believe that I, could, that I could have competed that year, but I knew it wasn't going to be at my best, and I wanted to give myself another full year to recover before I um, – used up my last year eligibility so um i yeah so i was just a volunteer coach that year and going to school and um learned a lot about coaching and just uh and then that let's see so the first semester i was going part-time um i wasn't i was i was jumping in and i was doing a little bit of wrestling not a whole lot and then the next semester i was a full-time student so um, that first day back, I remember my coach saying, he's like, well, looks like you're doing the full practice now. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, you're full-time student now. So, full so you're going to be, yeah. So you're going to be, you're going to be going through everything. And I wasn't really ready for that, but uh, I was glad that he did that. And, uh, that second semester of wrestling, I actually treated that like I was getting prepared for a national tournament just to get myself ready for the next year. So. Everything I did, I did it um, at 100%, just like normal. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I like I said, I was just, uh, just acting like I was preparing for a national tournament, like I was trying to win a national title. So, And I think that really helped me for the following year, too. So, yeah. Right. Also, yeah, good goals again, you know. Um, so when did you, you tore your ACL at some point in time? When, when did that happen? Yeah, so um, that first year back, that's when I coached and just tried getting back on my feet. And then um, the next year, which would have been the season of 2014, 2015, okay. um, I was just getting back into the swing of things. And I was wrestling in a duel against Concordia University. And I wrestled a, I was wrestling a guy that I actually ended up wrestling, and uh, I beat him, I think, three times throughout the year. Uh, we're, we're just going and, um, I think I was ahead by maybe five or six points or more. And, um, it was towards the end of the match, the guy shot in and he had a hold of my ankle and he's, 
uh, pulling it in closer and closer to him. And, um, next thing I know that my knee just ended up popping on the outside. And I remember they stopped the match and I just laid there. I was like, oh man, I was like this, this is not good. You know, I've, I've had it happen before and I've wrestled through it, but it's nothing you really want to do, you know? And I ended up uh, getting back up. I shook it off. I wrestled the rest of the match. And then as time went on, that's when I started getting really stiff and really sore. And um, I actually wasn't able to wrestle after that for, I think, two months. Um, that two months? Was, with an ACL? Uh, no, with an LCL. Oh, LCL. Okay, I thought it was ACL. All right, no, no, no. Yeah, so I I wasn't able to wrestle for about two months, and um, a big a big reason why is because I wasn't able to, I guess you could say, squat down in a ninety degree angle or whatever. So I wasn't right. able to really take I wasn't able to take a shot, and I wasn't able to get in what you'd call referee's position because I couldn't move my knee back far enough. So I spent a lot of time just lifting upper body and trying to rehab my knee and um, just trying to stay positive and. I I knew that I wasn't going to let this stop me from achieving my goals. I'm like, you know what? I've already gone through basically death already. I'm not going to allow a stupid knee injury get in the way of what I want to do. So Right, put things um, in perspective, yeah. <laughs> right. So I mean, I just I just kept pushing forward and uh I tried not to uh try not to worry about it and from what I've learned in the past is you got to work with what you got and um, no, make no excuses about it. You just have to, uh, you have to get the job done. So, right. You know. Do you think that you had the knee injury because you had the bacterial meningitis? Like you weren't quite where you could have been or should have been or were? Uh, no, I got the knee injury. Um, just because it was, the guy was pulling on it really hard. And, uh, okay. that's, that's mainly how I got it. And plus, I'm not the right. most flexible. I'm not the most flexible guy in the world, so that might have something else to do with it too. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I was just curious what you thought. Um, yeah. So, what's your transition to life after wrestling been like? You know, I mean, you you achieved your 100th win. Like, you know, at, you know, was that? I don't know. How did you feel like after after achieving that? Was it like closure or? Um, yeah. So. My goal going into nationals was obviously to win, win nationals, and to also get my 100th win, um, in which I ended up uh, I ended up getting my 100th win. Um, it had been my second to last match. And then my next match, I actually avenged my loss uh, from earlier on in the season to the number one ranked guy in the nation who I ended up beating, I think, 13 to 4. Um for third and fourth and yeah and after that it was like even though I didn't win um it was like a million pounds was off my shoulders and uh just because I knew you know I I gave it everything that I had in the sport and I left no stone unturned so um yeah man I just I I felt like I really uh went out and achieved what I what I went for you know and um that's I didn't, a great that's a great feeling to have because not every athlete gets to have that feeling when they're yeah they're done, and, you know? and I, I mean I don't want to sound like I'm some kind of samurai warrior by any means but I mean I felt <laughs> that I, I felt that peace you know uh, as soon as that happened I I had wrestled for uh ever since I was uh four years old so um 
to go out the way that I did, man, it was just like, it was just like I really felt at peace with the whole situation. Yeah, and especially so. from what you went through, you know, and I think part of the reason why I struggled so much with my transition to life after football is because I felt like it was taken away from me, you know, like it wasn't right. like senior day or state championship or the end of a, you know, four-year college career. You know, it was yeah. four games into my senior year, and I was told I'll never play again. So I was like, you know, yeah. this sucks. But um, Yeah, that's rough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you deserved it, and you earned it, like you said. Like, you, you put the work in, and it must must have felt that much much sweeter. So once your career was over, like, what did you do to transition to a, a life after wrestling? Um, so then after wrestling, um, I actually – I graduated and then I, I ended up moving to Florida and I really didn't know what it was that I wanted to do. I just know that I wanted to get out of the Midwest where it's cold all the time. And, and I, and I had wrestled, I had wrestled and trained my whole life and I just wanted to go to Florida. That's where my brother was at. Uh, he just got, he just got married down there, um, at that point in time. And, um, they told me, they're like, yeah, come on down, you, uh, stay with us, get a job, you know, and uh, try to start a life and everything. So I I went down there and um, met some really cool friends. And uh, actually, the one guy that told me about your podcast, that was one of my buddies I met down there, uh, Brett Morris, a uh, bunch of Navy guys. And um, yeah, I mean, I had, a, I had a great time, but it was like, I just wasn't really doing anything with my life, you know. Um, I I didn't know what direction I was going. I I didn't really know what was going on. And I think about I think I was down there maybe five months, and it got to the point where I was like, and right, I I need to figure something out. So um, I called a a couple coaches, college coaches up in the Midwest, um, just about like maybe an assistant job. And the second college coach that I called, uh, Rick Dahl at Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. I called him. He talked to me uh, right after my last match at the national tournament. Seemed like a really genuine guy, so I gave him a call, and and he told me he's like, dude, I've been looking for an assistant coach for literally like a year, man. He's like, I've had the hardest time trying to get one and everything. He's like, he's like, I'd be more than happy to have you come up. This will be great. So I ended up going up there and um, coaching with him, and I knew that they had. Um, a, another guy on the team that had survived bacterial meningitis, uh, Preston oh, wow. Hobelheinrich. Yeah. yeah, and I read about him um, the like two years before that, that this kid got bacterial meningitis. He lost his legs and um, that he had been wrestling his whole career with, with no legs. And I just thought that was a really interesting story and uh, very inspiring. And um, I always figured I'd probably end up meeting the kid, but I didn't know that I would end up coaching him. So that was actually a very awesome experience in this, in itself. And, um, it was just, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, so we so learned a lot from each other and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. What kind of stuff did you guys learn from each other and like what did you, um, you teach him? I mean, I mean a lot of stuff that I already knew, but I mean, just being around the kid was very inspirational. I mean, you will never hear the kid complain about anything that we're doing. He will, he's not ever going to try to get out of any workout. I mean, he'll put on his prosthetic legs and he'll try to go run if you let him. And, um, even during the warmups, you'll have all the kids doing sprints and he's doing sprints on his knees. Uh, like I said, you won't hear him complain. Uh, probably one of the nicest dudes you'll ever meet. And, 
um, just a, just a really cool guy. And, uh, it's like, he's just a prime example of, you got to work with what you got and make no excuse about it. And he didn't, he made no excuses and had his, uh, had his goals set high, just like I did. And, um, it just really makes you appreciate, uh, appreciate what you got, you know? So, yeah, for sure. Um, we'll have to get him on the podcast someday too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what do you do for fun these days to like de-stress? Um, so it just kind of depends on the season. Um, I guess, I guess you could say I'm a little bit of a wild man. I, uh, I actually, let's see, it had been the summer before I, the summer before my senior year, I went to Hawaii and I lived there with my buddy who saved my life. I was up there or over there for like three months and they got me into spearfishing a little bit, underwater spearfishing. So, <laughs> right. So I got, I got the whole snorkel set and everything. And, uh, I got like spear guns and stuff and I'll go, uh, to find like different lakes and whatnot. And I'll just, uh, go free diving and, uh, do some spearfishing and, it's probably um, a little different when you do it in Nebraska instead of Hawaii, but yeah, Nebraska, Iowa, and uh, so I'll, I'll do that. And um, I just do a lot of fishing, a lot of outdoor stuff. Um, I do a lot of hunting. I do a lot of uh, coyote hunting, and um, and I would say probably my biggest, the biggest thing that I do, my biggest hobby, I guess you could say, would be uh, just weightlifting and getting in there and always trying to. Uh, get healthier and live a healthier lifestyle and trying to always, you know, uh, get bigger, get stronger, get more lean. Um, just anything you can do to try to improve yourself. So, yeah, and I think that's a good message for other athletes who might be transitioning to a life after sports is the importance of continuing to exercise, you know, just like the feeling of sweating sometimes like makes you feel better about yourself. Um, right. Yep. Um, I'm a big fisherman and outdoorsman guy too. And I think that also helps, you know, you remember the, the athlete days. So did you play any other sports growing up? Um, yes, I did. I, uh, I guess I played, uh, soccer, like maybe a couple years when I was like really, really young in elementary. Um, like every kid. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I played baseball from kindergarten all the way till I was in eighth grade. My dad, he was my coach for a lot of it. Um, I really loved the sport, but kind of what got me out of that was I wanted to wrestle, I guess you could say year round and just kind of train and put my focus towards that. And a lot of, uh, with baseball, you know, it takes up your whole summer and, um, that's pretty much what you're going to spend your whole summer doing. So when it wants you get in high school, so I ended up not doing that. And, um, I actually ended up, uh, playing football when I was a freshman, sophomore. And that, um, that did not, it just didn't work out very well. Um, I don't know. I, I was, uh, I was a really small guy when I was a freshman in high school. I wrestled 103 pounds. Oh, geez. And when, I, when I was, right. And when I was a sophomore, I was 112 and then the next year, 130 and then 152. So I was continuously growing. But, uh, when I was younger, I was really small, but I mean, I always worked hard and for whatever reason, I just, uh, I wasn't ever able to play. Um, I was never put into play by the coaches. Uh, even my sophomore year, I don't think they ever had me 
start any more than probably 10 plays, even on the freshman team, which is, to me, yeah, it was a little ridiculous. And, yeah, and, thing, yeah. and it, it seemed to me like it was a very like it was a very political deal, and I just didn't want to put up with it anymore. And it was hard for me to get out of it because I absolutely love football. And, but I just, I just didn't want to go through that anymore. So I wanted to um, stay on a positive route and put all my energy towards wrestling. So my junior year, I actually ended up just uh, training year-round, and um, I would actually grab – 10 pound dumbbells and I would go run I think I'd go run about two miles with those every single day and then I would drop them off I'd throw them in a ditch somewhere and then I'd go run another three miles without them and I did this every day for a couple months before wrestling season started and um, the following year my neighbor she she was the cross-country coach um, Pam Olson and she just talked to me she's like oh you might as well run you might as well run uh for like something you know and run with a team other than uh just running by yourself all the time you know and so i'm like i might as well and and on top of that i think there's uh there's a few girls that wanted me to go out too so that might have been a deciding Ah, factor (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i think uh i was was a little motivated towards that i guess you could say and uh which was which was good because uh, the first year I ever went out for cross country, uh, me and my cross country team, we actually made it to the state tournament. And that was, I think that was the first time anybody in our school had gone to state um, on the cross country team as a team. So it was actually pretty cool. So I was, I was proud of it. So, yeah. Yeah, you should be. Yeah, you, you do it for one year and you already go to the states. I mean, it seems to be a common thread with you there, uh, Colin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so do you still suffer any effects from your, uh, meningitis? Um, yes, I, uh, I still get what you'd call like nerve pain, I guess it's, and it, it happens very randomly and it doesn't happen as much as it used to, but it's like a, it's like a sharp pain that I'll get in my feet. Um, it's either like a sharp pain that almost feels like it's in your bones or it's like on your skin where it'll feel like someone's taking a knife and shoving it in the bottom of your feet, you know? And it's just, no, it's not. And like I said, it doesn't happen as much as it used to. So I remember when I first started going to class at Midland University, I'd I'd be sitting there and the teacher would be giving a lecture and all of a sudden I'd get this nerve pain that it would about make me want to scream, but I just have to sit there and bite my tongue and get through it. So, um, but yeah, and then other than that, I got, I still got nerve damage on my uh on my feet and um I there's there's some things that like like sand for instance if I go on a beach sometimes it depends on the texture of the sand I might not be able to walk on it or um something like that so that was one of the things I faced in wrestling was um my feet were very I guess sensitive or tender so if someone took a shot or their knee or their foot slam down on my foot i would just have to grit my teeth and get through it but yeah it would hurt pretty bad and i would say that was that's the main thing i i pretty much have to deal with now and then other than that i got i got the, some pretty gnarly scars on my on my arms and i got a couple of them on my legs but nothing major and then but yeah my right arm is 
I would say 40% of it's probably scar, scar tissue. So. Well, before we wrap up the interview, I remember in the beginning of the interview, you said that when you first saw your arms and the scars and stuff like that, that you were really, you said that you didn't want to live at one point in time, you know, so to go from that feeling to where you are now, you know, what kind of change in your mentality to kind of embrace it? Um, so honestly, I, when I first looked at my arms and, uh, my first thought was, dang, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to keep my arms. And, uh, so I was always asking that question if I was going to keep them. And then my second thought was, dang, I am, uh, I am never going to have any girls like me the rest of my life because this is pretty disgusting right now <laughs> and kind of a messed up feeling. <laughs> Not to have right, but, but it's a it's a, a normal feeling to have as a young <laughs> kid like yourself. Yeah. It's not like you know, but it's kind of funny, yeah. And uh, uh, but now it's it's I've really embraced it. I think they're very cool. I wouldn't uh, change it uh, for anything, to be honest. Um, it's they're really a great conversation starter, and I always get asked about my arms. I always always have people come up and ask me and. And I mean, I tell them I don't make up things about it, and no shark bites or anything. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, people would like to believe that I make up things about it, but I don't. Um, right. But yeah, it's just it's a really cool conversation starter, and uh, um, yeah, like I said, I just I want to change it for anything. I think they look really cool, and I really don't have an excuse to get a tattoo because I guess you could say I got uh, tatted by life. So yep. <laughs> I'm with you, dude. Uh, so yeah. where can people find you, like on social media and stuff, to follow you? Um, yeah, they can uh, – I I post a lot of, I guess you say, inspirational things on uh, Instagram. So um, it's just at Colton Kirsten and uh, just on Facebook. I'm, uh, look up my name, Colton Kirsten. So Colton with a K. So, yeah, I'll throw them yeah. all up in the show notes. Um, and yeah. then – I think I forgot to ask you this. Uh, so you, when you got into coaching, you know, is that you were, you said that you, when you were in Florida, you were there for five months, so you were kind of not really knowing what to do, but you kind of gravitated towards wrestling again. Does does it ever bother you that you can't, that you like don't wrestle anymore, or is like just being around it helpful? Uh, yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I really don't really have any desire to compete anymore. It's just. What I really love doing, honestly, is just getting in the room and wrestling with the kids and just uh, spreading my knowledge and um, just trying to help kids out along the way, just giving back. Um, that's that's really what I like doing. Um, when it comes to competing, I I gave the sport every single thing that I had, and, and I told myself that I was going to give it one last year to give it everything that I got for one last run, you know, right. and uh, that's what I did. and. I gave it everything I had, so I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm at peace with everything that I did, and I just basically want to give back, and um, I'm also uh, working on trying to become a motivational speaker too. So I've been taking some, uh, taking a class for that, and um, That's I'm great, gonna man. try to make you it. Yeah, I'm gonna try to make it take off here uh, eventually. It might take a. It might take a couple years, but eventually I'll get it there. So, yeah, it takes practice, and I'm I'm trying to do the same thing. So I I, I feel your pain on that one. So yeah, uh, yeah. So last question: What's your personal definition of perseverance? 
A personal definition of perseverance. I guess I don't necessarily have a definition of it, but uh, um, I would just say, you know, whatever life throws at you, just um, you just got to overcome it. You can't. You got to work with what you got. You can't make no excuses about it. Um, and if you really want something bad enough, you will find a way to uh, to get it done. So whatever if you're if you're truly passionate and truly obsessed with something um, about a goal that no matter how big or small the speed bump is that life throws at you you'll overcome it so um, I would say that's the best way to best way I could describe it well thanks a lot Colton I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story on the podcast and keep spreading spreading your story around the world uh, with uh, your public speaking and um, everything that, that you're doing with, with coaching and uh uh, I, I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. Thank you for having me on the podcast, and uh, hope everything goes good. So I wish you well. Thanks, man.